Thanks for downloading this podcast from the University of Portsmouth. This is the series where we share world-changing ideas and research on everything from tech and the environment to health, security and democracy. In Life Solved, we're asking the big questions about how research here is set to change our world in the near future. Hopefully your mind is ready for a workout. Today, John Worsey is hearing how our guest is working to connect the needs of our lifestyles, governments and environments in a new way of thinking. So at the moment, a lot of coastal and marine areas, uh, even close to the shore, are managed in a sector-by-sector way. So mm. conservation's uh, done as conservation, and it's done yeah. independently from tourism, it's done independently from shipping, it's done independently from energy generation. Can you imagine the leaders of the world making decisions on everything from the environment to gas pipelines, tourism and mining at the same time? For a long time, the environmental cost of economic development hasn't been included Mm. in the products that we buy and the lifestyles that we lead. And by beginning to recognise that all of our actions have some environmental implication. This new way of understanding our deeply interconnected economies means we can work towards a future where sustainability, conservation and emissions goals are just as high on the agenda as fighting poverty and giving access to health and energy. Be prepared to look at our world in an entirely different way as Steve Fletcher explains how we can make the world a better place without deprioritizing our environments. Steve Fletcher is Professor in Ocean Policy and Economy here at the University of Portsmouth. He's been bewitched by our oceans his whole career. I think the ocean is, is in a way, most people only ever get to interact with the edge yeah. or, or even the very shallow bit yeah. of the ocean. And so it's a bit of a challenge, I think, to kind of really get people to engage with the deeper stuff, you know, yes. the deep, dark, cold, not very pleasant, you know, really difficult to access sort of areas, but really explain and really I don't know, help people to be inspired about how important those yeah. areas are to them, even though they may not see them or ever, ever visit them in any way. <laughs> it's just amazing, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's just, uh, it, it's inspiring, it's beautiful, it uh, really captures people's imagination and it's easy to, uh, I think, communicate the, the importance of, it, of its protection. Yeah. and its sustainable use. I think ocean policy and economy is a kind of catch-all term for yeah. a whole range of things that I do as part of my research, right. and also part of my professional practice uh, as well. Ocean policy is a you know, real-life, live debate that's going yeah. on all of the time, and that's where I like to locate my, my research to. From our oceans to our industries, food supply, clothing, lifestyles, travel and environment, It's all connected. Every aspect of our lives interacts within the economy and each country's economy in turn intersects with another's. This is the way some policymakers are beginning to look at our world as we face the challenge of finding solutions to critical challenges. But how does that work in areas that lie beyond national jurisdiction? The high seas. Everything we uh, wear, everything we eat, pretty much uh, the way we transport ourselves around the world is to some extent reliant on ocean resources. And so there's a huge concern globally that these areas are being used and abused in a way that is creating some unsustainable future 
for the ocean. So the way I talk about that with friends down the pub and randoms down the pub is, uh, <laughs> is as, the, as the last great wilderness right. on, on Earth, because these areas are, are hugely rich in biodiversity. Uh, they account for 60% of the entire ocean by, by area and 95% of the ocean by volume. Uh, and yet, in essence, then they're not managed in any coherent way or planned. It's, it's sort of a no man's land. I mean, there are activities out there. So you can imagine shipping vessels going by, cruise liners, there are subsea cables, there are um, some fishing vessels, particularly uh, fishing for large species like tuna, they go out there. Um, increasingly, oil and gas exploration is happening in these areas as well. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. So in areas beyond national jurisdiction, there are no protected zones. So people know where the areas of high biological and ecological importance are, but there's no way right now to protect against over-exploitation or abuse or pollution or any of those things, or mining actually. So the UN as a body is kind of responding to national level political demands. And so there are certain countries like, well, certain groups of countries actually, like the EU, in Australia, New Zealand, some small island developing states, they're all really pushing the, the ocean protection and sustainable use agenda. The deep ocean work is very politically hot. It's so relevant to society, so relevant to issues like plastics and so on. Steve has worked with NGOs and governmental bodies the world over, and in addition works closely with the UN to apply research and real-world examples into the frameworks that countries are using to make decisions. So how do you begin to make the ocean a priority to a nation that may have many different urgent matters on its policy-making agenda? So anybody that's coming to a country and saying, I've got a body of research or a body of evidence, you have to go with a certain degree of humility yes. to the country and recognise the country has all sorts of political and social and economic priorities that you yeah. may know nothing about whatsoever. Uh, and just go to them and say, well, you know, this is what I've found. This is how it might be relevant yeah. for, for, for you. The second yeah. element is then collaboration in the execution of, yeah. of the research. So what I've learned over the last four or five years uh, is that if we're going to talk about effective practices anywhere in the world, you really need to engage with the people who were involved in, in doing that work themselves. Mm. So if we're talking about uh, how effective a protected area might be at protecting I mean, dolphins in Belize yeah. or something, you know, it's critically important to engage with the site managers who were involved in that protection. Otherwise, it's impossible to truly understand what it was about that policy or that process that actually made it work. Uh, and certainly in... In, in sort of UN world, if there's any sense that the examples that you're drawing from are not really grounded in reality, mm. it's, everything you do just loses credibility immediately, and it's just not asked back. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's as, it's as severe as that. The the level of scrutiny and need for checking and peer review and collaboration is far far greater than in, in anything I've experienced in academia. Steve is basically talking about his approach of doing research and changing policy hand-in-hand hand with the countries, sectors and workers involved. In the case of the oceans, then that's pretty much everyone who depends on its resources for transport, pipelines, cables, food and more. Let's put this in context now and get back to the sea. Steve explained how something called the Sustainable Blue Economy Approach brings all the values of the ocean together in one decision-making system. 
the thing that, that drives me is, is doing research that makes a difference. So the sustainable blue economy uh, work is it's very interesting because it's kind of replacing a whole research agenda around uh, conventional conservation. And it's really giving that conventional conservation activity an economic spin. So one of the challenges of conventional conservation is that it's perceived to be a cost to society mm. and it, it restricts use in some way. So you know, if you've got a conservation you can't do fishing, you can't do oil and gas exploitation, so it's a cost. What the sustainable blue economy concept brings forward is that unless you protect what's called the, the natural capital of the ocean, you can't credibly expect the economy to be buoyant or the economy yeah. to be, be uh, really strong. N nobody quite understands yet how to make that that simple recognition yeah. a, a real thing to, to generate strategies that work for countries or that work for islands or that work even just for a, for a city like this, you know, yeah. in, in the Sutherland. And so um, I'd very much like to drive my research in a direction where uh, I can work with locations or with countries to test particular approaches to uh, kind of policy making around the sustainable blue economy that yeah. both protects the environment and enables people to have happy, healthy and you know socially and economically fulfilled lives. So at the moment a lot of coastal and marine areas, uh, even close to the shore, are managed in a sector by sector way. So mm. conservation's done as conservation and it's done yeah. independently from tourism, it's done independently from shipping, it's done independently from energy generation. So it's really quite easy for, let's say, an energy generation activity to impinge on a protected area or to wreck the view uh, of a lovely coastal tourism yeah. site or something like that. So it's, it's kind of incoherent and it's non-integrated or non-coordinated. Yes. Uh, so one of the uh, potential tools of a sustainable blue economy policy would be something called marine spatial planning, which is an approach to provide a more integrated, joined up strategic approach to how marine space is utilized yeah. uh, by different activities. And of course, marine space isn't just the surface, it's also the water column, it's the seabed, sometimes it's below the seabed, it could even be the air above the sea as well. Another aspect of this work is figuring out where the economic value lies in the oceans and how we recognise it in wider society. So that approach called marine spatial planning is, is increasingly being used as a, as a way to balance competing demands uh, right. of, of ocean space and ocean resources. Yeah. Um, the other approach that's increasingly being used is to consider the, the values associated with the ocean, and not just financial values, but also the social and cultural values as well. So, for example, in, in and around Portsmouth, there's a, there's a value of just walking on the beach on a sunny day, mm. and that's important for a lot of people's health and well-being. There's a value of the fish in the, in the water column, there's a value of the ports for international trade, there's a value of the uh, military port, I guess, for the protection of the UK and, and the other strategic interests the, the country has, uh, and etc. etc. There's a whole yes. load of other values. And in essence, what the sustainable blue economy approach does is, is, is enables those values to be exposed yeah. in a way that brings them together into a single decision-making system. So it's possible to, to make policy choices that reflect the, the multiple values that the, yeah. the coast has to different groups. Uh, and that would be a a step change in the way that coast is, is managed in yeah. large portions of the world. 
Steve explained how education in society, not just government, is crucial in changing the way we view the role of the oceans in our economy. This, in turn, is vital in landing the importance of their sustainability and conservation. He told us about ocean literacy. I guess for a long time, the environmental cost of economic development hasn't been included mm. in the products that we buy and the lifestyles that we lead. And by beginning to recognise that all of our actions have some environmental implication, and ocean literacy is working with individuals or groups within society to uh, essentially um, support certain behavioural changes. Yeah. And those behavioural changes are, in essence, designed to deliver policy objectives. And those policy objectives could be around reducing the amount of uh, single-use plastics that's used, or it could be around encouraging uh, different waste disposal practices, or it could be around different food choices. So the research comes into it in, in terms of un understanding the connections between people's lifestyle choices mm. and implications for ocean resources. If those implications are negative, we can then try to understand, well, what are the interventions we can make to encourage a, right. an altered behavior? So that intervention might be an economic incentive, uh, it might be a law that will I know, ban plastic bottles, for instance. Um, it might be uh, just simply kind of a conventional marketing type approach, yes. whereby we make certain activities uh, either more appealing or less appealing, depending upon the intervention we, we want to make. Yeah. So there's a whole area of research that's opening up now in uh, the UK and around <laughs> the world that's focused on essentially social marketing. New ways of talking about our world requires a collaborative effort in making sure the message gets out in the right way, in all the right places. Steve explained how new cross-nation groups are forming to tackle this. I'm quite heavily involved in something called the Marine Social Sciences Network, uh -huh. uh, which is a newly formed organisation, which essentially, for the first time, is trying to bring together people from around the world who are interested in this sort of topic. Yeah. I mean, this is really new in marine science world. In marine science for decades has been a sort of measuring and counting off a ship kind of yeah. discipline. You know, the notion of taking people's opinions into account and trying to influence behaviour as a response to some of the world's environmental problems yes. is quite new. So this group is really trying to build capacity and build interest in, in this area. Education, marketing and a whole new way of looking at research and problem solving. It's pretty much remarkable how much method goes into the decisions, events and actions that end up influencing our everyday lives. Thanks to Steve for taking time out to explain the sustainable blue economy and thanks to you for listening. You can follow our research at port.ac.uk slash research. Our new magazine, Solve, follows University of Portsmouth research when it's put into practice. It's full of news and stories on our world-leading advances and the changes these are making to lives and futures across the world. You can read more from Steve Fletcher and the Blue Economy in our very first issue. Just go to port.ac.uk slash solve. Next time on Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth, we investigate the human element of using drones in warfare. The SMIC, Senior Mission Intelligence Coordinator, says there's a kid on the back of that bike. So they all look at it, no, no there's not. And after all the reviewing, they could still not see how this SMIC, on her first day, stood up to all the pressure round yeah. about her and said, nope. 
us what you think via social media. You can get in touch using the hashtag LifeSolved or maybe just share the big idea with a friend. If you subscribe in your podcast app, you'll also get each episode of Life Solved automatically. Catch you next time.